the person, the Holy Spirit, to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to the power of the Holy Spirit, and all those things working together to bring glory to the Father. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to bring glory to the Father and to exalt the name of Jesus. And that's an interesting aspect of the Holy Spirit, having been given a free will and having been given um, the, the fullness uh, within that, he could have wanted to heap some glory to himself. But he does not do that. He gives all the glory and, and wants all the glory to go to Jesus. So our foundation scriptures this morning that we'll read uh, is out of Isaiah 61. You can also find it in, in Luke. And I brought the wrong Bible this morning, but that's all right. It, it still reads. So in Isaiah chapter 61... Beginning with the first verse, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, this is a prophetic word by Isaiah, uh, one that Jesus then speaks also uh, in the beginning of his ministry. Uh, He speaks it, we find it in the book of Luke in chapter 4 as well. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about anointing from the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. What what do you take to the oppressed? What do you take to those that you find having difficulties in their life? Good news. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. I want to bring special attention to setting the captives free. Binding up the brokenhearted and proclaiming liberty to the captives. And release to the prisoners. So keep that in mind. Now let's turn over to the book of Matthew. In chapter 6. going to begin reading at verse 9. Jesus said about prayer, he said, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us 
to the time of trial, but rescue us from evil. He goes on to say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Um, One translation says debts. King James uses the word debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, The New Living Translation says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive. In this introduction to the Holy Spirit this morning, I want to deal with the subject forgiveness. You see, one of the things that immediately stops the Holy Spirit from working in your life is unforgiveness. You see, when we are not forgiving, then what we're doing is doing the work that we feel needs to be done. Do I need to say that again in another way? The moment that you move away from total forgiveness and not forgiving someone's debt or something that's happened to you, um, the moment you do that, you take upon the workings of the Holy Spirit yourself and He stops working on your behalf. Whereas when you forgive, you are releasing that person from being imprisoned. You're acting upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are act- See, it's important that you act upon the Holy Spirit in your life. When you are forgiving, you are releasing the Holy Spirit to work on your behalf. When you are unforgiving and not forgiving something, a sin against you or a debt against you, however you want to look at that, then you are trying to do his work and he quits doing the work on your behalf. So I'd like, with that in mind, to turn to Genesis chapter 45. This is the story of Joseph. He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob was not a perfect father. In fact, he showed favoritism. Never a very good thing to do as a parent, to show favoritism. And in his favoritism, he made for his favorite son, Joseph, a coat of many colors. Now, the giving of the coat was a mistake. The greater mistake was Joseph wearing the coat. And Joseph wore that coat unashamedly and proudly that his father had bestowed it upon him, so much so so that it provoked his brothers to jealousy. 
Well, if that wasn't enough, then Joseph had these dreams. And in the dreams, he, he saw, um, you can go back and read it, but in the dream, basically, as he shared it with his family, his brothers and his family would all bow down to him. So if the coat wasn't enough, the dreams put them over, over the top. Now, we know this was a dream from God, but possibly he would have been wiser to have not shared it when he did. Uh, sometimes when God gives us dreams, we might be wiser to hold on to those dreams before we share them and, uh, and wait on those things. I don't know. But in this case, he shared the dreams, and it provoked his brothers to even greater jealousy to the point where they decided they were going to put him to death. They were going to kill him. They're going to kill Joseph. Let's get rid of this guy. Uh, we can't stand him any longer. And as they're about to shed blood, they see some Ishmaelites coming. Now, I find that an interesting aspect, too, and a little side note there, that they were Ishmaelites, which were also a product of Abraham. Is that right, Bob? Bob always gives you this sideway look. Like, I better check my doctrine. Um, and one of them said, well, instead of the shedding of blood, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So they sell Jacob into slavery, and off he goes. And they take his coat from him, and they dip it in blood, and they take it back to Jacob, and they present it to Jacob, and basically let Jacob come to his own conclusion. His son has been killed by an animal, torn apart by an animal, and he, he says, uh, I will go to my death grieving, continuing to compound this favoritism. Obviously, grieving would be an aspect of that, but he was so overwhelmed, it took the brothers back a little bit. So anyway, they sell him into slavery. Now remember along with this earlier in Genesis, God spoke to Abraham and he said, I will rise, raise up your people out of Egypt. Now, who knows how that's supposed to take place way back in the day when God spoke that to Abraham. I'm sure that was not in Jacob's or, uh, Joseph's mind at that time. I doubt if the dreams really were in Joseph's mind at the time. What Joseph's mind probably leaned towards is those brothers of mine sold me into slavery. I will get them if I survive. And survive he did. Now the brothers also thought they got away with it. They thought, we're done with this guy. We've gotten away with it. We've gotten rid of him, you know, kind of brush off the dust. And finally, we're, we're free of this guy. But the Bible's pretty clear when it says, be sure to know this. Your sin will find you out. 
and they thought they'd never see Joseph again. But now, 22 years have gone by. And in the 22 years, a lot has happened to Jacob, or to Joseph. He has gone through a lot of breakings. He's gotten through a lot of humility. He's gone through a whole lot of things seeing himself rise and fall, rise and fall, as God continued to work in him. And now the day has come. There's a famine in the land. It's so severe that the uh, Jacob's sons leave their homeland and go to Egypt to buy food. And they find themselves before their brother, Joseph, who has now risen to be equal with um, Pharaoh. I wanted to say Pharisee. With Pharaoh. And uh, he's basically the prime minister of Egypt. And uh, so let's, our story takes up there. They find themselves before there. And we're going to start in uh, 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers could not answer him. They were so terrified at, the, uh, at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. We've got to remember, 22 years had passed and this is a different Joseph. All the dreams that he had had, that he had shared with them, I'm sure there were many times in that 22 years where he discounted those dreams. He said, what in the world? Where are you, God? Why are these things happening to me? I don't think that he was any different than any one of us in this room would have been with discouragement, with setbacks, with difficulties, with what we thought God had spoke to us, and then it wasn't yet come to pass. But breakings had taken place in his life. Change had taken place in his life. 
And now he was ready, and God had prepared him for this. He had gone through a tremendous amount of pain. The greater the pain, I believe the greater the anointing that you experience. If you allow the process, if you allow God. I read an account of a man, and he was telling this story. He had been deeply, deeply wounded deeply hurt by his church. He was the pastor of his church and things had happened and had deeply, deeply uh, wounded him. And uh, he'd been wronged. And uh, he was angry. And he was bitter. And he held on to that for a long time and finally he shared it with a trusted friend. And his expectations was for his friend to put his arm around him and tell him, this is good, you need to get this out of your system. But his friend didn't do that. After emptying all of that out, his friend looked at him and said, is there anything more? And he said, no, that's it, I I have shared it all. And then he said, looked at him and he said, you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. You see, using the description of Joseph, I believe that Total forgiveness came long before his brothers arrived on the scene. I believe the workings of God. He allowed the workings and the process of the Spirit of God in his life to where he came to a place of total forgiveness and then he was released from all the, all the chains that had been on his life and God raised him up to begin to now fulfill the promises and the dreams that he had spoken to him. So he said, you must totally forgive them, for until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. He said this is one of the most difficult things he had ever done in his life, was forgiving them and releasing them. You see, I've had a little experience with that myself. We all have to different things in our lives. Uh, Learning to forgive difficult situations, not the fact that my wife made me mad. You know, that's an easy forgiveness. Like, you made me mad, uh, and I forgive you. And she looks at me, she said, what did I do? And I want her to know what she did. I'll get to that in a minute. I'll tell you what she did. Um, but it was painful to really find that place of forgiveness towards that person. 
It was a dark hour in our lives, a devastating time in our lives. And I had to find a place of forgiveness to that individual in my life. In doing so, that was almost as painful. I experienced almost as much pain to be able to totally forgive this person as the pain I experienced by what they caused in my life. So therefore, it was kind of easy, or uh, it would have been easy to have avoided that because it brought up a lot of pain. So it's probably the same for you. The experience of totally forgiving can feel as painful as the event itself. Totally forgiving someone is like climbing Mount McKinley. How many of you see the Mount McKinley? Denali Park. Did they change the name of the mountain? When did they do that, Bob? No, they didn't. I wanted to say Denali, but I thought, no, it's still called Mount McKinley. It's Denali Park. They cha- good, good. I like that. Glad, glad you corrected me. Don't ever do it in front of people again. Um, so it, totally forgiving can be like climbing Denali. You look at it in a distance and you go, I'd like to do that, but few actually ever do. The question is, totally forgiving, will you do it? Now, I think if I ask for a show of hands, and I'm not going to do that, but if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you have forgiven people that have uh, sinned against you, offended you, created a a debt against you, they're indebted to you because they hurt you some way or another, or deeper things. There are deep things that have happened, things that I've not experienced, abuse, um, um, just abandonment. Um, Some of you have suffered great injustices. But when I ask for a show of hands, how many of you have forgiven I would say probably a lot of hands would go up. But if I were to ask you, and then if I were able to show you that perhaps you have not actually forgiven, maybe then you would go, I need to learn to totally forgive that I might receive the fullness of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So as I said, the greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. So I'm going to ask you, do you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Do you want the all that God has for you and a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life?
If you do, then this word this morning is for you. So the question again is, will you totally forgive those that hurt you? Now, what if the Holy Spirit today, what if God decided he was going to uncover areas of your life that only he knows? And he was going to, if he was going to display today up here on this overhead, my shortcomings and display them openly and make them known, this would not be a big enough screen. We'd have to have screens all over this place just to show my shortcomings, the things I've caused, the things I've done. Now, don't look at me like you haven't done that because... Uh, we would need a whole lot more screens if he did that to every one of us. But God does not do that. You know what? God holds it in confidence, in secret. So one of the things that we can look at and say, how do I know that I have totally forgiven? Number one, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. That's a hard one. See, husbands and wives do that all the time. I said I'd bring that up again. I'd say, well, you made me mad. Well, you know what really makes me mad? She doesn't even know she did it. So I'm like, well, I go up to her, I say, I forgive you. And she says, for what? And I said, well, you did this. And she says, well, I didn't do that. Well, you did. Well, no, I didn't. Well, yes, you did. And now we have a fight, which is what I wanted in the first place. You see, because I'm not unwilling to allow the Holy Spirit to work. I want to do it, and I want to show, uh, get some justice out of the situation. So husbands and wives sort of hold each other in, in, in a, a controlling, fearful way a lot. And we do it as people. But here we see Joseph sends everybody out of the room when he's talking to his brothers. He sends them out of the room. Get out. Even the translator, well, you're going to need me. Get out. I want everybody out. And then he says to his brothers, I am Joseph, the one that you thought you killed or sold into slavery, that you wanted to kill and sold into slavery. Why did he do that? He knew he was bringing his brothers to Egypt. He knew he was bringing them to live there. And if Egypt knew what they, his brothers had done to him, they would despise them. They would say, oh, how could you have done such an evil thing? So he didn't tell their secret. He didn't tell the most secret thing about them. 
See, sometimes we know these things about someone, and the first thing we do is tell somebody else. Oh, I've done it. It's on the. It's up there. Put it up there. <laughs> Sin number four, forty-five thousand three hundred eighty. I've done that. Oh, I got hurt. I got hurt. And, you know, they made me feel so bad. And I, I just want to share it with you. Why? Because we don't want the people to like them any more than we do now. Look what they did. And you shouldn't like them either. So. Totally forgiving, number one. You don't tell anybody what they did to you. Now, sometimes you might need to have that one friend, as the story I told you this, this man wrote about. Um, having been so deeply wounded. But then he didn't get the answer he wanted. Number two, you won't let them be afraid of you. So the next thing he says to his brothers, they're terrified. Oh, man, it's all going to come back now. He has the power to get even. Don't we love it if we feel the power to get even? I do. He has the power, Joseph has the power to literally put his brothers to slavery now or to death. He has the power to get even. And what does he do? He says, come close. Come close to me. Don't be afraid of me. I'm not going to tell this later. Why? He's totally forgiven. I don't want you to fear that I'm going to let the secret out later. You'll like this one. Okay, number one was, uh, what was it? Huh? You don't tell anyone else. Very good. You don't tell anybody else what they did to you. Number two, you won't let them be afraid of you. And now number three, you don't make them feel guilty. You see, I gave a little example of husband and wife, spouses, or we do that. Um, I want you to feel badly about what you did. I want you to feel badly about what you did. I want you to feel them. I want you to feel guilty. But he says, I am your brother. Do not be distressed. I forgive you, but I hope you feel bad about it. And again, nine out of ten people... You go up and you leave this meeting today and you go, I'm going to really take the message to heart that Pastor Mark says. And I'm going to go up to, uh, to Pastor Dave and say, I, I forgive you, brother. And he says, for what? You know. And he, <laughs> you know. And he says, I don't. And I go, oh, you really do. 
and I'm going to tell him, you don't make them feel guilty. Um, we've got this doctrine. Well, we don't need to forgive until they repent. I don't know where you got that doctrine, but it's not found in the Bible. It's faulty doctrine that you don't forgive until they repent. There's no find it. I'll be here till I'll be here next Sunday. You can bring it back with you. Um, it's not there. It says, "Forgive them. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them. They don't even know what they've done." Number one, you don't tell anybody. Number two, you won't let them be afraid of you. You won't hold them hostage to later on, I'll let this secret out. Number three, you don't make them feel guilty. It takes minimal grace to forgive when someone's sorry. It takes greater grace to forgive when they have no idea that they even offended you. Number four, you let them save face. There's a saying, it's a, I believe from uh, Asia, Oriental saying, to save face. And what that means is, you don't rub their nose in it. I'll forgive you, but you, you should feel badly about what you've done. And what you've done is, is just a bad, bad thing. The old Seinfeld, you're a bad, bad man. That's beyond even this crowd. You're not that old. This is a crowd that doesn't even know Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm kidding. You let them save face. You don't rub their nose in it. You protect them. You protect them. Joseph did it by saying, it wasn't you, but God who did this. Can you ever come to that place when you've been hurt by somebody and you go, well, they did it. Can you come to a place of total forgiveness and saying, God, what was it you were working in my life and wanting to say to me that this happened? You see, you're letting them save face. You're protecting them. Oh, total forgiveness is easy, but it's hard to want to protect the offending party. It really is. But the day will come, the day will come when you will treasure the things that have happened in your life. You will look back on them and you will treasure them and look at how God has worked in your life. All things working together to the good, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Almost done. You with me? If you're getting sleepy-eyed, take a deep breath. You with me, kids? I know this is just a real message geared for children. So, number five, you protect them. 
I covered that a little bit, but I want to reiterate that. You let them save face. You don't rub their nose in it. Number five, you protect them. How did Joseph protect them? How did he protect this dark secret of his brothers? Well, number one, you know, he didn't want Egypt to know. There's a reason for that. But number two, he told them to go back to their father, and he told them word for word what they should tell him. He said, don't go back and tell dad what you did. But he says, go back and tell him. And he gave them word for word what they should tell. Hurry up in verse 9 and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. No mention of what his brothers had done. He protected them by telling them how to graciously deal with the situation. And finally, you'll like this one. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. It's something that you do for your life. All your life. Throughout your life. Maybe you've heard an example. Lady, uh, let's just take this as an example, has been raped. She hears the message about forgiveness. And uh, she finds it in her heart to forgive the rapist and then later learns that they caught the person. And now being called upon to testify, what do you do in that situation? That's a little different situation. I want to address that. You can totally forgive, but this person has done something that will continue most likely to hurt others. And you should... You're not taking it upon yourself, but you should... Uh, work within the law of that and testify in that situation should that ever arise. There's a difference between total forgiveness and and a person have to answer for their uh, misdeeds. Now, having looked at this, would the same amount of hands go up if I asked if you have forgiven? Or would you have to think about it a little bit? No, I I, I still practice a lot of these. I still um, have not figured out how to thank you to do these things. Let's uh, stand. We're going to close with a song. You know, one of the things we did today was we took communion and um, one of the things that most of us do, I think, when we take communion is we uh, reflect upon our own hearts and we, we ask of the Lord, if you see any way in me, lead me in the way, your way, God. As we leave this morning...
ask the Holy Spirit, have I totally forgiven someone in there in my life that needs to be receive that forgiveness? And think of the steps that we went over and which of those steps are you stuck on? And then ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to release them.